Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Mandy. And this is Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and sober curious. Hi, and welcome back to Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and sober curious. Um, this is episode 74, and today we're delighted to talk to um, the legendary Veronica Valley. And uh, Veronica uh, has <laughs> been sober since May the 2nd. <laughs> She's been sober since May the 2nd, 2000. So, this I'm really I just have to say before I, I do the proper intro I'm really excited to talk to you because when I first got sober I saw you know you were just sort of there and I don't think I ever kind of found my way to connecting with you but you've just been around ever since I got sober about seven years ago so it's I, I've got a little bit of a fangirl moment going on, I have to say. <laughs> so thank you, Veronica. Thanks for coming on. We're, you know, I'm really looking forward to sort of diving into everything with you. Um, so Veronica was originally from the UK. She's a psychotherapist, emotional freedom technique practitioner. That's tapping, I believe. We'll get into that. A recovery coach, author of the books, Why do you why you drink and how to stop and get sober get free she's also the co-host of the sober full podcast veronica passionately believes that anyone can recover from an alcohol problem if they're given the right tools and support and she personally has helped thousands of women transform their lives veronica believes that alcohol is only a symptom of the problem and that to recover thrive and become the women we're truly meant to be we need to embrace a process of change and she's now in the u.s and married lives on Long Island with her husband and her two sons so hi Veronica um how are you doing hi I'm doing good yeah taking it each day as it comes right now in this middle of this pandemic but I'm doing good yeah I'm it's funny isn't it because we it it just seems like oh one day so like today I'm I'm having a really crappy day today, I have to say. And yesterday I felt like I was on top of my game and I was bossing it. I was bossing all the homeschooling. I was, you know, like I I did, I just felt like I was, you know, hashtag winning yesterday. Today I feel like I could barely get out of bed. And I don't know, are you kind of having the same sort of feeling over across the pond? Well, the reason for that is we are all living through a crisis situation. And I think the biggest mistake we can make is is try to, con- you know, sort of carry on as if we weren't living in a crisis situation because crisis changes how our brain operates. So it's the kind of like the homeschooling. It's, it's like we're going to do the best we can there, but we're not homeschooling. We're crisis schooling at home. And that's different. So I yeah. realized about sort of day two or three of our lockdown in, in the US, and we, this is our, our third week now, were, that I needed to take care of my mental health in each 24-hour period. Um, and I haven't, you know, I, I just, you know, I've been sober almost 20 years. I just lived my life and I have just very ingrained habits and disciplines that I've done for a long, long time that maintain my sobriety and my mental health. And I realized with what was going on, I had to 
up that, consciously mm-hmm. up my game. So um, I have to move every day. I have to walk or run or dance for 30 minutes in the living room with my kids. Like I have to move. Um, mm. I do some tapping. I uh, access some of the online support, but I'm very conscious of it. And I've not been, it's not that I'm not conscious of it. It's just like, I've just done things and it's, you know, I, it, we all have to up our game on taking care of our mental health right now. We have to be very purposeful about it. Mm. Yeah, I, I really re- relate to that. That resonates with me. I've sort of been, we've had a lot of chat on our groups about, um, you know, thank God we're sober. And it feels like um, we've been in training for something almost, you know? Yeah. And it's like, okay, now it's time to really put, get, get on the road with ease, you know? Um, and you talk about the the day, you know, the secret of success and and the whole thing, I suppose, about ODAT, you know, one day at a time has never felt so kind of real to me as it does now. Yeah, I, I haven't felt like I've been doing something one day at a time since my very early sobriety, um, and which is it's such a helpful tool in those first early weeks and months to just take it one day at a time. But we can't live our life like that. We just we have to live our life and we just have to change, mm. you know, how we do that. And that's what recovery is all about. But yeah, I feel like I'm just taking this one day at a time. I am doing what I need to do to get through today. And I'm trying not to project beyond that. I mean, I've had, I've mostly felt Monday, I had a rough day that was hormonal. And I had a couple of rough days at the beginning. Last week, I felt pretty good. But yeah, it's kind of, I think the important thing is to remember, we're all in process right now. We're all in the grief process. And we're going to all experience these different, these different feelings related to this feeling of loss that we all have, and the fear of the unknown, which is the grief process. So we are in a grief process yeah. and to accept and feel and acknowledge those feelings. But the, the biggest thing is really understanding how our brains operate when they're in crisis and not to expect, like I've no, definitely noticed a big difference in my work, like feeling distracted and not as productive and then beating myself up for it and then being like, okay, you, your brain can't do any more than this in this situation. So kind of giving ourselves a break in that respect. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, uh, what the, the sort of things that really help me I'm, and that I'm really missing is my local yoga studio because yoga is massive for me. And that whole, um, not only our brains, but our bodies responding as well sort of that our whole systems are, are are in this kind of chaos fight flight freeze hide under the covers kind of thing and and we can't like think rationally can we when we're like yeah that? we've got to soothe before we can actually our brains can work properly is that is that kind of what you were saying yeah what what happens when we're in crisis is so much of our we live a lot of our lives on autopilot with our subconscious programming so our subconscious mind is responsible for about 15 uh, sorry about 90 percent of what happens in our day um some of that's good and some of it's not so good because we all have negative programming in our subconscious mind but what happens when we're in crisis is we have to use the conscious mind a lot more the way i kind of the analogy I've been given is, so I live uh, near New York, and when I come home to the UK, uh, usually about once a year, 
I always make myself get a stick shift um, so that I don't lose that skill. So when I come home, I have to very consciously drive for about the first few days. Like I really have to think about what side of the road I'm in. I have to really think about, you know, how I'm moving my legs and arms and where I'm going. Now, we once we've learned to drive, that goes into our subconscious mind, right? We've all had journeys where you can't, it's like your journey home from work. Try going a different way. It's like you, it's hard to do that because we just do that automatically. So when I go home, I'm, I'm really like, don't talk to me while I'm driving. Like my, you know, I'm, I have to, it takes a lot of energy for me to, to do that. So it's kind of like that. Like right now it's taking us a lot more energy to do things that we would almost automatically Mm. do, you know, like Monday morning, Monday morning, getting ready, pack lunches, swimming later, get all of that. And it's like, you wake up on Monday and it's like, oh, none of those things are happening. So what are we going to do and how are we going to do that? So you're, you're having to consciously think through things that before you didn't have to consciously think through. And that takes a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's harder to do. That's why work feels harder. It's why things feel harder because we're consciously, yeah. we have just this like big mm. mass of unstructured time that we're trying to structure and think through and all of that kind of stuff. So that's why it's harder. Yeah. And that's, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's like we have to dial it down, don't we? Then in that case, we can't expect ourselves to be doing as much and firing on all cylinders if if half of our system is just trying to cope with adapting to change and and also a difficult feeling, which is that the unknown, really, when we're not good at that, so... Yeah, I'm and that's go about back to having... bed, right? I'm going to go back to bed tomorrow. <laughs> I'm going to allow myself. <laughs> it's all right. Veronica's giving me permission. I'm just going to go chill now. So um... yeah, you know, and that's so, what I did I... on Monday. I had a really rough day mm-hmm. and didn't feel good. And I just, and my husband knew it. And I just said to him at like bedtime with the kids, I said, "Can you do it?" And he was like, "Yeah, sure." And I went and I just watched mm. the iPad for three hours on my own in bed because that's what I needed to do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, and like you said, I think that's so true, you know, having to do it even more now. And it is that like, it does feel reminiscent of early sobriety in terms of that very conscious application yeah. of routine and change. I, I agree. Um, Can we dive into your decision mm-hmm. to go alcohol free? Because I would love to you know, just to hear your story and sort of kind of meander through that with you would be really, really great. Um, Okay. Yeah. Uh, So I really love the word alcohol free and that it's out there uh, now as a thing. Uh, However, I'm not alcohol free. I'm sober and there is a difference. Um, The the difference really is that uh, I think more and more people are choosing to go alcohol free for as a lifestyle choice and just recognizing that alcohol really doesn't serve them or benefit them. However, being sober is about doing the emotional sobriety work because alcohol was never my problem. It was a symptom of much deeper problems. And I used alcohol to numb and, and hide from all of that. So when I stopped drinking, there was a lot of stuff that needed work uh, to, to be worked on. Does that make sense? Mm. Uh, yeah, so, you're talking to another sober person. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> yeah. 
So um, I, I'll con- do the condensed version of my story. I, from when I was very young, felt like there was something deeply wrong with me. I didn't feel good enough. I didn't feel worthy of being loved. Um, I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin. So y- you know what it's like growing up in the UK. I'm I'm 47 now. So uh, this was like the late 80s. Um, it was very easy to get alcohol. It was very easy to get into bars. And I remember drinking for the first time and just feeling like the first time it was like a light bulb going on. It was like the first time I felt like I was comfortable in my own skin and that I, I could do anything. So alcohol, like my brain made that connection really quickly, that alcohol is an answer. And, you know, my drinking, I was, I was, fifth, I remember being 15 years old and I was out on a Saturday night in a pub in England and uh, I was drunk and I was, it was a lock-in, you know, back when they used to close the bars at 11 p.m., and um, I remember I went into, I, I could remember that, you know, that feeling when the room's spinning and I knew that I was going to throw up and I went into blackout and I woke up outside the pub in the gutter covered in vomit with the landlord throwing a bucket of water over me. And I remember having this thing, thought there's something yeah. not right about this. And then the next day or whenever I went back to school, like all my friends say, saying, oh, that was such a great night and you were so funny and you're so hardcore. <laughs> and my brain took that information of being in blackout, in the gutter, covered in vomit. I am being told that that's a good time. So my brain labeled it a good time and put it in my brain's filing system. And I believed drinking in that way from there on in was how to have fun, how how to have a good time. It gave me street cred, all of that kind of stuff. So I was your very classic binge drinker. I'm I'm very uh, allergic to alcohol. Every time I drink, I uh, throw up. I'm sick for days, but that never stopped me. (laughs) Um, And I just went, I was always... I was, I did a lot of geographicals. I was always running away. I was always like the next job, the next moving house, moving countries. Like I was always looking for something, the thing to make me whole, to fix me. Um, I went into drug-induced psychosis when I was 18 uh, by using magic mushrooms. And that started off a whole uh, series of panic attacks and chronic anxiety, really, really bad panic attacks. I was suicidal and I couldn't tell anybody because I didn't even know how to put that into words. Like I didn't know how to even say that what was wrong with me. And I went to the doctors and he prescribed me Valium and that started a, a prescription drug addiction. And I really spent a decade trying to get help and look for a solution so I knew but like I knew something was wrong with me and I thought it was like a very rare mental health condition that nobody else had Mm. and I never equated my drinking to have anything because my one of the, the panic attacks started Um, my brain very quickly made the next connection which is like there was lots of things I couldn't do sober but if I had a a couple of drinks in me I could go to the party or the event or whatever so I made that connection of like I have to drink to be able to go to this dinner or to go to this thing and then it crept into like I was in at university and I couldn't sit in lectures because I'd get so anxious and have a panic attack and then uh, so I'd go to the bar at lunchtime 
And then when the lecture was in the morning, I remember thinking, oh, crap, what am I going to do? And I snuck vodka into my Diet Coke and drank it in the toilets at Mm -hmm. 8.30 so I could go to the lecture. And I remember thinking, there's something not right with this. (laughs) Um, This is what alcoholics do. Um, And so I, uh, the next, you know, our drinking is always progressive and I was drinking to cope, to cope with my life. Yeah. And so it really progressed from there. I was going to churches and doctors and psychiatrists and psychologists and mental health workers looking for help. Um, and I I don't think anyone, they were trying to treat my mental health condition. And I don't think really people, anyone asked about my drinking, although I'm sure if they did, I probably lied. Um, and eventually I was 27 and um, I, so I'd done, I'd done a degree and I kind of come to this idea that I wanted to be a therapist and help people. And uh, I was living in Florida at the time and the local college had a addictions counseling course. And I thought, oh, I'll do that. So I went along to that and kind of was getting all this information and kind of going, oh, and it was sort of ringing some bells, but sort of not. And then one day, um, I just decided to stop drinking for a bit just to see what it was like. Not really, I, it wasn't like a really conscious decision, like I have a problem with alcohol. I just thought I'll stop for a bit, just see what that's like. Not really, you know, just no idea where that was going to go. And then I thought, well, I need to go to these like 12-step meetings people talk about to just see what these client, future clients that I'm going to be helping are going to be like. I love that. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. I, I'm here, everybody. I'm here. Don't worry. I'll, I'll help you. <laughs> yeah. So I went along to some 12-step meetings and I didn't identify or relate to anybody. And I for some reason kept going because I think my my social life, life disappeared because I'd stopped drinking I only had fair weather drinking buddies at that point and one day I sat there and a, a middle-aged man started talking about fear and the fear of not feeling good enough the fear of not being loved the fear that of everything of anything and of nothing and how that governed his life and that's why he drank. And I just sat there and thought, yeah. oh, my God, I thought I was the only one. And then that's when I knew I had a – that's when I knew the term alcoholic really fitted me and, and everything changed from that point, really. I just oh, – you kind of – I know it's, I shouldn't really laugh, but it, it it's – there's something so normal, isn't there, about that? Well, you know, we do drink at uni and, you know, and of course I can't be an alcoholic because that's an old man who'll be there with a paper bag and a bottle of vodka. And and then that, that and you know, and that whole, the kind of, I suppose, the stigma of what alcoholic looks like. And I'm wondering how you, as a 27-year-old woman sitting there, how that felt to put that on, you know, put that label on. How how did it feel at the time? Can you remember? Yeah, completely. I was incredibly relieved because <laughs> the next thing, yeah. I it when I heard that, what it crystallized for me was 
I absolutely that's I had I thought an alcoholic was a smelly old man on a bench and I'm not a smelly old man so clearly I'm not an alcoholic I didn't really I I mean I couldn't even didn't even cross my mind that that I had a problem with alcohol or I could be an alcoholic but when I understood that it really was this internal emotional spiritual problem that it was how I felt on the inside and I drank to cope with my feelings on the inside and that's what an alcoholic was I felt like, oh my God, I have spent a decade trying to find out the solution to this problem that I have, but I didn't realize you can't find the solution till you understand what your problem actually is. And once I understood this is my problem, oh, there's a solution, great, fine. If that's that's the deal, I, I just wanted the, uh, my, being inside my head was such a horrible, uncomfortable painful place to be I just wanted that to stop so if the answer was I'm an alcoholic I have to go to these meetings and not drink I was like sign me up Mm. because I I cannot continue to live this way and I will do anything to make that stop Mm. so it it never it never bothered me I I was like it it was a tremendous relief because I really didn't know what the problem was up until that point yeah you know, listening to you, there's two things that occur to me because there's I'm listening thinking, I think most people drink to cope with their feelings. I think it's become the absolute, you know, accepted kind of pain relief. And also, um, what was I going to say the other one was? No, I've forgotten it. But yeah, that sort of very uh, endemic, accepted. Oh, and the other thing was that, so for me, what, and it links back to what you said before about going to help mental health care professionals and them, them never linking anything with alcohol. And I think for years, there's been this void. There has not been a link between you either go down, all oh, right, well, we'll route you down the, the addiction or the substance use dis- misuse disorders or substance use disorders, or we'll push you down the mental health route. And the two haven't conversed. So it's like when I see that, I'm like, I just see a really, really huge problem um, and that it kind of almost everyone fits in that category. What what do you, what would be your take on that? Well, I, I think I'd agree because I think that the human condition, we are all, if you look at humanity, many of us are trying to manage our internal condition with external fixes. So alcohol is a very popular one and drugs and smoking and consumerism and our phones. And there's all sorts of ways that we are just trying to manage our feelings because we simply don't have that skill or ability. Um, you know, it's it's an essential life skill that most of us didn't get taught. Um, yeah. When we were growing up, it usually wasn't role modeled to us very well. So um alcohol is presented to us as as just such a perfect solution to so many things and it's insidious in our culture so I think it's true I think most people are trying to manage internal conditions with outside fixes and ours just happen Mm. to be alcohol which then also happens to be a highly addictive substance but I mean I've worked in the addiction treatment for almost two decades and I've seen people addicted to the most bizarre and strange things if it if it takes away you know how you feel about mm. yourself. Yeah, right. So that leads us back to that kind of me- mental health and sort of 
wellness toolkit at how to live a design for living almost and an education about our feelings which some people call recovery right and some people call self-care um and I wonder what your recipe would be now for managing your internal state now that you don't use or drink well I think first of all Everybody has stuff from their childhood. That's where all of this begins. So it, it's, it's really about, it's a journey inside of yourself. I think it's Plato, the philosopher that says, a life lived unexamined is not a life worth living. And so I think it starts there, is we have to go inside and we have to really know ourselves. So whether that's through a therapy or a treatment program or some other method of which there are many, um, there's lots of self-help groups, um, you know, smart recovery, the 12 steps, all of that kind of stuff. It, it's about finding out what's inside of you, why you respond the way you do, why you feel the way you do. So the answers are always in childhood without fail. So we kind of have to do that deep work at some point. It doesn't necessarily have to be done, first of all. I don't think it should be. I think we have to get stable in sobriety to then kind of start that deeper work. Um, And then we have to create um, a practice and a discipline that just really helps us maintain our mental and emotional health. It's really personal development. And it's, here's the thing, everybody on the planet has to do personal development. It's just most people (laughs) don't know that. We were were Mm. given the gift of desperation that forced it into us. As human beings, we are called to grow. We have to grow. Um, Mm. And uh, most, you know, that's really prevented when when we have a drink problem. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? You know, so once you've... you know, go through the sort of sucky bit of early sobriety and then there's that another sucky bit of, oh, God, now I've got to look at myself. And then suddenly you start getting what they call the gifts of sobriety and it's like, oh, okay, like, oh. And I, uh, you know, and it is that cliche, you know, I'm, I, I sit there and I really tuck up myself and go, oh, I've just been that cliche thing on. Really, I'm really grateful. I'm really grateful I had a drink problem to come out the other end yeah, yeah. and to go, okay, I've actually had no choice but to go through this amazing process that I obviously I'm going to go through until my last breath. Um, but, you know, it's like that... Um, plugging into life or something plugging into my life and I I see yes so I I still do numb out with things I do do the Netflix sometimes and I do do the um a bit of the eBay but you know I think well oh well you know it could be worse (laughs) it's somewhere in the toolkit um because I think sometimes I I wonder if um there's that bit in in sobriety where you well, I remember going to myself, oh God, I've got to do loads and loads and loads of work. And part of my thing was to just go, okay, well, I'm sober and maybe that's enough. Like I don't have to be bloody polishing the stone. I used to call it polishing the turd, um, all the time and trying to self-improve because actually some of my recovery was letting go of the constant analysis and perfectionism. So just like being able to be in the day and breathe it's like oh that's actually all I ever really wanted 
It was just there was too much radio frequency from all manner of stuff that I couldn't actually get still with myself. So I guess that's why, you know, yoga and some, you know, mindfulness has been helpful to me Um, and positive psychology or something. Yeah, I mean, I think all of that stuff is very helpful and I I see here's what happens when we stop drinking it's the call to growth that really happens and that call to growth we can't ignore it so I would say again it's not necessarily a bad thing to want to numb out with Netflix every so often but if it's a continued pattern you kind of have to ask yourself like there's a red flag there and what's that what's that red flag about? Yeah, yeah. It's it's yeah. Is there another habit forming here? What am I using it for? I think that that is, and it's fine because I I remember I don't you probably know um, old Tara Brach. You know, self compassion, reign of self compassion. Mm. Um, she sort of was talking about you know life being like a river and and the emotions. You know, you're going down the rapids, and sometimes it's all right to take refuge behind a rock. You know, you can just go, okay, I'm just going to breathe. I'm going to park that. You don't necessarily have to fix everything all at once because I do think there's. I, I see that come up a lot on sober forums. It's like, whoa, everything comes up in your face, and it's like, oh my god, I'm going to have to fix everything, and actually. No, you don't. I suppose, I guess. I mean, I've never done 12 step because I um, had a religious uh, trauma when I was growing up. So I can't do anything that looks anything like religion. Um, but I know that 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 kind of, I suppose, the process of the steps almost then takes care of of some of the chaos of of, sobri- of early sobriety, maybe. I don't know. Just thinking out loud, really. Um, So the 12 steps um, are not religious. They're an ancient spiritual practice. And you can trace back the origins of them to the Gnostic religions, which predate Christianity in the Mediterranean. And the Gnostic religions, very interestingly, were extremely feminist. They uh, really valued uh, women as priests. And and, uh, it's a very interesting religion. And uh, part of their religion was about self-reflection. So the origins of the 12, the 12 steps are simply a spiritual mm. practice. That's all they are. Um, and they're not remotely original. You, you can see the themes in many other areas. Um, and it's really about, it, it's really a, a, a structured and simple way to take care of your inner life, your inner being. So, um, uh, yeah, it, it's you. Once you go through the twelve steps, um, it, it's really about continuing to grow. And here's the thing: when you grow, you come up against obstacles. I mean, I was on. I had a call this morning with one of my coaches, and we discovered this like whole area, this whole thing from my childhood that I thought had been dealt with, but was a much was much deeper. And I've just been like, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> Now, what's juicy about that for me is, although I'm feeling all this fear and sadness and resistance to it, I want to go at it because I know on the other side of it is a whole Mm. new way of being and experiencing. And I want to get to that. You know, there's a point Mm. when in sobriety, like the rewards of self-development 
is just becoming more of yourself, a deeper yeah. version of yeah. yourself. And once you kind of start that, I mean, for me, I don't want to use the word addictive, but I love that. It's delicious. It's, it's delicious. Delicious. That's a good word. Yeah. 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 And it's that like kind of coming home. That's the thing I didn't realize. It was like, okay, I'm going to like not have the hangovers and I'm not going to, you know, have so much of the self-hatred and maybe I won't have the kind of crippling anxieties. And it was like, I didn't know that I was going to come home. And I was like, oh my freaking God. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, and that is, you know, I'm just kind of, it's lovely talking to you about that because I love love doing these podcasts because you get to kind of reflect again, again and again and again, like, you know, and um, it's putting a smile on my bit of a shitty day so thank you thank you it's interesting and I and you know I'm really interested to see um how you see the kind of the recovery world has changed over the last 20 years what would you say the biggest kind of changes have been oh it's it's really incredible I mean I I mean I got seven when I was 27 which is young and I thought mm. my I thought my life was over. I thought I was never going like certainly never going to go dancing again. Was never going to wear lipstick again. Was definitely never going to have sex again. I was just <laughs> going to live like a sort of nun, a sober nun, yeah. basically. Which I kind of was. I wouldn't I wouldn't say I was okay of, with, but I was accepting of that because my drinking was so horrifying that I just wanted peace. Like I didn't think somebody like me was going to have happiness. Like that was that's for other people. I just wanted some peace. So I can't imagine what it would be like to like wake up with that last hangover and Google, you know, sobriety, sober women or that kind of thing and see what's online right now. I think that would have blown my mind. So when I got sober, there was, I mean, it was not even, the internet was barely a thing, you know, it was barely a thing. Um, so there wasn't there was no options AA was the only option or going to a treatment center which was not an option for me so um now we have all of these different options but the big thing that's really changed and it's in the last just few years is this positive representation of sobriety so I don't think it's been represented positively enough you know it's been like it's like it's a sort of almost I feel been treated and this is because of the 12-step influence as a sort of the whole confusion between anonymity and secrecy as a um uh you know still a secret thing slightly shameful so to see like women and young women like uh embracing sobriety and and being public about it and celebrating it and saying it's awesome I think that's fundamental and massive because you can't I don't think you can persuade, it's hard to persuade people who are drinking and believing it's still fun that, that it, you know, that actually there's quite a cost with that. I think you have to represent, you have to show the alternative. And I love how that is happening. And and so I think it's, I mean, it's incredible how much it's changed. I mean, I was told when I became, you know, my first few years as a psychotherapist and I was still like three or four or five years sober, like to not talk about it and it's like it's ridiculous how Mm. and so I've that's why I love the word alcoholic um I feel like I've reclaimed it and I you know if you meet me anyone who meets me now they just think I'm a nice middle-class mummy 
And sometimes they sort of ask what I do. And then sometimes the conversation is, oh, how did you end up doing that? And I love saying, oh, I'm a recovered mm. alcoholic and cocaine addict. And and I love seeing the, the, the shock on their faces because I yeah. don't fit the stereotype. The shock. So I love challenging <laughs> people's stereotype yeah. of what that looks like. Yeah, I'm very naughty. I like doing mm. that. So Pat, empowering, right? Um, <laughs> but I think mm. it's, it's really true, isn't it? Because also, if you, I know that something that stopped me being, you know, choosing sobriety for many, many years was that I just thought sober was going to be so horrendous. And I thought you mm-hmm. have to reach a rock bottom to actually make that choice in your life. And, um, and, and I remember yeah. the first time I Googled uh, anything and something that doesn't scare the living Jesus out of me was I found Soberistas and that literally opened the door Mm. for me to start examining it it gave me a place where I could fit and oh the relief of actually finding somewhere um you know and and like you say that that kind of the positive the spin on it from from over the last few years has been massive I can't believe you well I can believe you were told not to talk about it but doesn't that seem crazy now Totally crazy. And there's still a sort of, you meet long-term sober people who are sort of 20 years plus sober, there's still that kind of vibe that, oh, you're breaking anonymity or you can't talk about it. And it's absurd because, you know, Mm. I know that for a fact, there's been so many people who've seen, not just me, but lots of people who've who've seen someone who's sober and, and been like, wow that's a that's a thing wow. like that's actually that could be a thing that you know just like you found soberistas so I think it's if we want to normalize an alcohol use, use disorder as a um you know disease or condition or however you want to consider it to to be treated like any other we have to show this side of it as well but I think I think what you're saying mm-hmm. it's so important um with my this is what I notice with my clients um the people go through that dance for usually a few years of knowing that they have a problem with alcohol but they're so scared to stop and the reason is is because we have been persuaded that alcohol is the best way to have fun excitement belonging connection to relax and to have romance so what yeah. people when the people begin to yeah. think like i i i have a problem with alcohol what they're actually feeling is i have to give up all of that and who wants to do that? Mm. And and that's what I do. Yeah, think and that. the and the connection. Yeah, and connection. Yeah, I mean, who wants to give up that? And I, I kind yeah. of thought that that was like most of that was certainly the fun excitement bit. Like I de- definitely think thought that that mm. I would never have that again. However, the, there is a land of fun, excitement, belonging, connection, relaxing, romance, and sex, and you can get there sober. And here's the thing that we discover: it's better. <laughs> Yeah. Right, it's better. Yeah, I mean, right. the fun mm. I've had so sober. Mm. Yeah, who knew? Yeah, and that's we. So we. <laughs> it's so great. There's so many platforms, mm. and you know, on Instagram and podcasts, saying that message like loud and clear, like people with longer, longer, longer term sobriety saying it just gets better. It's not always easy, but you know what having a life that is uh, drinking that's not easy like that's not easy this this requires effort sometimes it's hard sometimes it's painful but the thing is 
there's a reward to it. There isn't a reward to alcohol, to abusing alcohol. No. No. I, I, I totally relate to that. And, um, yeah, that kind of misery of, of, of the inevitable sort of boring Groundhog Day circular oh, behaviour. Yeah. It was just, I mean, I think once you've got to that point and you just know that's almost like the worst bit when you're just about to stop. And mm. it's just you've got there, but you haven't got you've got the misery and you haven't got any of the skills on board yet. Or, you know, you mm. you've course, you know, you, you've got life skills, but you, you've not got the emotional internal skill set because you've not been using it as like the weak muscle or the non-existent muscle. Mm. And I just remember I've just to, I, I've been please God, like touch wood. I never, you know, I never go back there. Mm. So, you know. But I'm. Can you tell us about the the five pillars of sobriety? Is this something you're working on currently? So the five pillars of sustainable sobriety is just my model of sobriety that I teach. So um, it's just a way to understand what you need to do to be sober. Because I see so many people in this big online sober community who want to be sober or are sober, but really have no idea what to do next and mm. and and also or a few months sober and they don't they still feel full of fear and anxiety and, and they don't understand like it feels really really hard so I wanted to give a sort of structure to that so we want yeah. our sobriety to be sustainable which what that means is um we, we don't want to think about it like I don't think about not drinking or being sober I don't think about it now in the beginning we do we need to because it's such a big thing and you know so in the beginning we're thinking about not drinking staying away for alcohol and getting through the day and all that kind of stuff but eventually we want to live our we just want to live our lives right that's what we want to do so yeah sustainable sobriety is about um once we have this it's really personal development once we have these pillars in place then our sobriety just takes care of itself so the five pillars are um, movement. So uh, that works on two levels. The first thing is that uh, moving our bodies, that exercise is really key to taking care of our mental health, that we need to move in some way. So the second part of that is we need to be consciously purposeful about the direction our lives are moving in. So before, I think a lot of us were just sort of like little boats you know just being pushed this way and that on the the ocean with no rudder like where like what do you want your when you're 90 at the end of your days what do you want to look back and have your life to be about like mm. is it that yeah she was always up for it on friday night <laughs> is that what you want your life to be about so it's about being purposeful about the direction yeah. that your life is going in which we can do when we're sober so that's movement mm-hmm. um balance so whatever the question is this is the second pillar whatever the question is balance is always the answer so whenever we feel uncomfortable in our own skins or we want to duvet dive with netflix too often or we're eating too much sugar or we're snapping at our children the answer is always balance and the reason for that is we feel uncomfortable in our own skins and we behave in these ways when we are out of balance and not getting needs met. So initially, in early sobriety, that's the halts, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, stressed. But as we go on, mm. it's about 
we all have what we I call a balance plate, which is our needs. And we have to balance that. And it changes as our circumstances change. So an example of that would be when I, before I had kids and when I was just dating my husband, I exercised every day. I had tons of time to do personal development and meditation and I go to workshops and all that kind of stuff. So when I got married and had kids, all of that ended. I had no time to take very little time for self-care. I moved to a different country. um, So I didn't have any friends around me. So my balance was off and I I need those things. Now, Mm -hmm. how that looked once I was married with children, like maintaining friendships and personal development was very different to how it looked before I had children. I just had to adjust how I got those needs met, but I had to get them met. So it's really important in recognizing our needs. And whenever you feel out of sorts, it's always because you're not meeting your needs. Um, Connection is the third pillar. And connection is we all have to have meaningful connection in our lives. And that's what I mean by that is we all um, need just a small amount of people. Sometimes it's just one or two who really know our souls and know who we are on the, in the inside. So that, of course, is about vulnerability. The, uh, there's only one pathway to meaningful connection, and that's the pathway of vulnerability. So we, you know, again, we can have, we can know lots of people, but not really be known. And mm. connection is it, it's as important to us as breathing and, and eating and water. So when I moved to America and we moved to Long Island where I live now, I had my second child. Uh, I had two small children. My husband was working all the time and I had uh, uh, postnatal depression. And I didn't have, like have always had lots of friends, but I didn't have any live nearby. And I knew I had to make, that was a balanced need. I needed that connection. I needed balance where I just had some girlfriends. So I put myself out there, I tried to meet people, and I just found I was having the same conversation over and over again. How many children do you have? Do you like it in America? What does your husband do? And I just wanted to scream. Um, And then finally, I met, you know, a group of women that I really clicked with, and we meet up regularly, and we just have conversations about things that really matter and really interest me and help me grow. So we all need to have um, some kind of meaningful connection in our lives. It's vital. The next pillar is process. So process is we are all in processes. We all have feelings and emotions that need to be processed through us because that's how we learn and grow. All of the things that happen to us and our feelings about the things that happen to us, they all contain teachable gifts inside of them. However, we are people who numb and run and push them down. So process is about processing these feelings that we've pushed down, that we've numbed, that we've ignored, so we can take the the richness, the juice, the the learning, the teachings from them. A a lot of that is so we don't keep repeating the same mistakes, but it's ultimately so we can keep growing and moving towards the person that we need to be. And that's the fifth pillar, which is growth. We have to grow. It's a universal law of life. You look around and you will see it's true in nature, in business, in community, in people. We're either growing or we're dying. We are all called to grow. We have to grow. So when we get sober, we get that op- we, we get that calling to grow. And what comes with growth? 
will uh, fear will always accompany our growth because that's just how it is and we and that's just a skill that we can learn to navigate and to um overcome so that we can answer that call that's inside of us does that make sense Mm, I love that yeah yeah totally makes sense and I and I'd like to just say how do you cope with fear um so that's really interesting I um I I find I have particular journaling prompts that I use that help me uncover what's really underneath that stuff um you know whether what I ask myself if it's true, how do I know it's true, that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, so I used to have fears which were wrapped up in limiting beliefs. Like I was really frightened that I wasn't good enough and I was always trying to prove that that wasn't true, but then it would just I would just always end up proving somehow that I wasn't good enough and I wasn't going to be loved. So I don't have those fears anymore. That stuff's gone. Um, but I have more, I would say you know like when you're a parent you you're never going to be free of fear like that's something that's always going to be with mm-hmm. you when you're a yeah. parent your job is to just yeah. manage it so um you know for instance what's happening at the moment i've definitely had moments of like blind terror of just like <gasps> and my head will go down that rabbit hole of all the most awful circumstances that could happen so um I think the most important thing is to change anything, you have to accept where you are. So don't deny it or push it away or pretend it's not happening. It's just really own. That's how I feel right now. Um, Asking for help. Sometimes I need another person. Um, You know, I just need to call someone and get them to help me kind of ground and, and, and see things more reasonably. Uh, Journaling that out, as I said, is something I do regularly. Um, I use EFT, emotional freedom technique as well to, to process and deal with those feelings. I'm not afraid of fear anymore. I know, Mm. I know I can deal with it. Like I, like it's resisting the urge to run from it. It's like, okay, this is just, this feels hard, but I'm going Mm. to. It's like standing in the middle of the the other side. I'll be. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I love that. Thank you. Um, I want to move quickly on because we, you know, I'm aware that we've got 50 minutes and I could really, I could chat to you for all evening, Veronica. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, but can you tell us a bit about uh, your work coming up with Laura, Laura McCown? Is it the work of sobriety, I think it's called, is it? Yeah, that we we just closed enrollment for that. So by the time that this goes out, uh, it, the enrollment will be closed. But um, so I've known Laura from quite early on in her sobriety and 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 um, seen how she's grown and changed and and with you know kind of helped her with that. And so we did a we get asked one of the questions we get asked a lot is we talk about you know when you get sober you have to do the work, and then people are like well, what is the work <laughs> specifically? Exactly what is that? Yeah. So we put together a program um, that addresses that uh, in the initial stages. Um, however, in all the programs that I do, that's what I do is I teach the work and it's boundaries. It's about learning to process and deal with your feelings. It's about uh, finding the limiting beliefs that are holding you back in your life. It's dealing with fear. That's the work. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so it's that, you know, um, I suppose it's a bit like the five pillars that, like, you know, how to live, how to live yourself and your life with all the stuff is. Ugh. Yeah. It, it It's really about, it, it's like having the instruction manual, really. I mean, I feel, I've, I felt yeah. like that for a long time, you know, I felt like, I mean, I remember I, I when I got sober, I hit a rock bottom in sobriety where I um I was about three years sober and I wanted to kill myself and it was a relationship a romantic relationship that got me to that point and if you'd have come along and like I was so all I wanted to know was how like how do I I would look at other people and relationships and families and and just think how do I get that how do I like how do I get to this place where I feel safe and I feel okay and I feel happy and I feel loved it felt like just a million miles off for, for me. Um, and, and it was really that, that it was that I was given the gift of desperation that really pushed me into doing this deeper work in order to, to, to make these changes to, to get, you know, the results that I wanted to get, to get the life that I wanted to get. But I, I think that, you know, that it, it's, I think a lot of people experience that is they get sober and then, it gets better and then it gets worse and that really scares people and that's all because you haven't taken the journey within to find out who you really are and that's how we get free yeah that I totally relate to that yeah I really relate to that and that you know that sort of definitely happened to me in my journey of just it was like oh my god you know I've got sober and and it was amazing because I was on one for a year like I was just freaking on one and then I was exhausted and, and, but I, and I was like, Oh, but it's still all shit. <laughs> mm. I mean, a lot of it wasn't shit, but I still felt shit. And that's when all of the, you know, like you were talking about the, um, the work, the inner work started. And I mean, I, I, but again, I, I didn't go to, um, I didn't do a, a treatment program of any kind, but I did. Um, I found the coaching process and the very positive you see because I was like okay because I'd had therapy before but I, I needed to focus on where I was going what I loved how to nourish myself how to fill up the cup you know and there wasn't that much around still at that time I think again that's kind of moved mm. and um so it's just very interesting I, I just so fast I could just talk about it all mm. the time with all the people about what is their journey and what is you know that when people find their thing and when people find mm. and it's gonna be different isn't it for people that that's the thing yeah um, I, I think it's yeah anyway, I think it's sorry, really important yeah I think that's really important to note that um I think I did a blog post on this recently that um there is there is lots of different paths to recovery um, and you just need to make sure they contain uh, the same elements. Really, uh, they all contain the good ones. All can contain the same elements. So, um, it, it, you know, like just like I said, the twelve steps are ancient spiritual wisdom, but they're not remotely original. You can find that stuff, um, you know, in, in lots of other places. But uh, there's, you know, there's lots of different paths as long as they contain, um, you know. Uh, they allow you to have a work on your emotions work on connection 
um, allow you to have a shift in perception, allow you to resolve some past issues. It doesn't really matter if it's coaching or therapy or AA or smart recovery or women for sobriety. Like they all kind of get to the same place. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I love that. I love that. And I and I think, you know, when we go back to talking about how the landscape of recovery has shifted over the last 20 years, it's that those all of those emerging pathways, right? All of that choice for people. Yes. Yeah. And that's that's so just so important. And and it's so great. And you know, particularly uh programs uh that are specifically for women. I think that that's a really good thing as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah the uh yeah don't get us started that's hashtag don't get me started or mandy started because that's our thing <laughs> let's talk about being a woman um so do you want to quickly we will wrap up with a tip of the day and a reason to love sober but do you want to is there anything that you're currently doing that you want to talk about just before we we wrap up um I will have a I am I have a group coaching program that's going to be opening at the beginning of May that I uh, facilitate with my podcast co host Chip Summers. So we're both um, psychotherapists and Chip's been sober for about 35 years. So that's going to be opening for enrollment soon. So just get on my mailing list. Um, You can go to soberful.com or veronicavalley.com. or just follow me on social media at Love Soberful or join my Soberful Facebook group. Um, and you can find there'll be information going out there. Perfect. So we can, and we'll link those below in our notes so that you'll be able to find um, Veronica and sign up. Yeah, sign up to the newsletter and keep in touch with what, what, all the awesome work that she's doing. So thank you so much. So can you um, tell us what's your tip of the day? Um, I tip of t- the, my tip of the day, and it's specifically for the for this period that we're living in, is to just make a decision today to take care of your mental health. Put that first, and do whatever that is for you. I'm going to suggest that one of those things would be movement of some kind. Um, perhaps making a list of things you need to give yourself attention to this day, and connecting. Uh, with somebody online in in some way shape or form and then when you get up tomorrow make a decision to do that all over again that's my tip for today Mm. yeah brilliant and that real one day at a time kind of thing um and what is your reason to love sober today um I, i that's such a great question um I love sober because it is so expansive and big and I can't imagine not being sober right now because having a drink problem just feels so small and there's nowhere to go and crushing and I'm so grateful and I love being sober so much that I have the tools and equipment inside of me to get through this and to get through it thriving Mm, I absolutely love that what an amazing way to end thank you so much for talking to us you're so welcome thank you for having me on worried (laughs) and if you're immediately concerned about your drinking obviously reach out there's so many like we were talking about sober forums um sign up to veronica's newsletter um, reach out to us at love sober um 
Uh, alcohol concern if you're in the UK has agencies of local support. I know it's hard to get to GPs at the moment. Um, ask uh, Soberistas has an Ask the doctor service, which is anonymous. So, you know, just send up a flare, reach out. You're not alone and get in touch and stay safe. And we'll see you next week for more chat.